0: All opinions expressed on the Spielman & Hoolie We Tackle Life podcast are those exclusively of the hosts and not of sponsors or employers of the hosts. Previously on the Spielman & Hoolie We Tackle Life podcast... Well, we don't have a previously on the uh, Spielman & Hooley We Tackle Life podcast today because uh, I didn't get it edited, but uh, I'm happy to be with you here on a Monday, September, let me think, 12th was Saturday, September 14th edition of the podcast. Uh, No Spiels today, he is traveling back from... San Francisco, where he saw, hmm, one of his man crushes in the NFL is Kyler Murray. He likes a mobile quarterback. Ooh, Kyler Murray very mobile yesterday. A little too mobile for Nick Bosa and the Super Bowl runner-up San Francisco 49ers as the Cardinals pull off the uh, Week 1 upset. We'll talk about the NFL. We'll talk about the Browns and Bengals losing in, hmm. Uh, Typical Browns fashion for an opener, at least. Typical Browns fashion for a Ravens game. Uh, Joe Burrow's debut with the Cincinnati Bengals. Almost the stuff of legends. Uh, Instead, a little bit of the Bengals' dysfunction bleeds over into that outcome. But a lot of cool storylines in the NFL, including Dwayne Haskins leading the Washington Redskins on the field and in the locker room. Cam Newton's debut. Tom Brady's debut. uh, National Anthem. Protests. Strange goings-on with that, a coach kneeling, but let's start with Big Ten football, shall we? Yes! It looks like by the time we convene on Wednesday when Spiels is back, we will have a Big Ten football season in our crosshairs after much strange, awkward, inexplicable, nonsensical goings-on. The Big Ten, embarrassed and unjustified, yet not so intractable that it will not correct its mistakes, appears on the cusp of uh, reinstituting a fall football season. Not a moment too soon, because they're running out of weeks if they want to play a viable season and be eligible for the college football playoff. The rumors, reports, suggestions are that a vote of Big Ten chancellors and presidents is upcoming. It will reinstitute fall football. It will establish an October 17th start to the season, which gives the league nine weeks before college football playoff berths are distributed on December the 20th. Say, so, wait a minute, isn't that later than they typically give out the college football playoff berths? Yes, it is. It's two weeks later than they typically do it. That's built in this year because of delays in the schedule, which we've already seen, like in the Big 12 with SMU and TCU and games delayed by COVID. So they're giving away the college football playoff bursts on December the 20th. The Buckeyes could play three games in October, four in November, December 5th, December 12th, and then a Big Ten championship game on December the 19th. So they would have nine weeks to play eight games. Now, maybe they're going to play nine games. I don't know. I think... Nine games is preferable to eight, not just because more football is preferable to less football, but because teams in the SEC who Ohio State fans have whined about playing one less league game than the Buckeyes over the years, presumably that means having an easier schedule. This time it would be uh, Ohio State playing one less game than the SEC. So they can schedule nine, they may not play nine, uh, but... It does get them in under the wire in time to be considered for a college football playoff berth. This is the right move in light of the fact that um, we know more about COVID now than we did on August 11th when the Big Ten canceled the season. But I don't think we know appreciably more to justify a 180-degree reversal of plans. And this is going to be the ticklish thing for the Big Ten. You remember the last time we talked, Friday. The news of the day was Ryan Day's social media statement calling out the Big Ten for not providing any answers on why we're not playing. That's all Ryan Day wanted. Give me the answers on why we're not playing. Tell me why we're not playing. You got a lot of medical studies. You got fear. You got myocarditis rumors, this, that, the other. Just stand behind it and tell me why. Other schools are playing Notre Dame is playing. Ohio High Schools are playing. Cincinnati's playing. They're playing in the ACC, Clemson over Wake on Saturday night. They're getting ready to play in the SEC. Just tell me why we're not playing. Answers, definitive, bold, have not been given by the Big Ten. So, uh, now, I don't think the question goes away just because the problem goes away. Why are not we playing already? Why do we waste a month I can't imagine, well, I can't imagine because the Big Ten is terrible at crisis management. (laughs) Uh, I can't imagine that they will just proceed and say, "Uh, nothing to see here, folks. No, we're back, so don't ask us about why we took so long to come back. They may go that route, be the wrong route to go. But they have a problem on explaining their return because if they portray it that it's so much safer now than it was before. We've learned a lot from August 11th to September the 14th. We've learned a ton. We now see how safe it is. Then that, you would think, in a logical society, would have to carry over to other aspects of life in Big Ten states, most notably in states where they are on stringent lockdown, like Michigan. How do you sell... That it's safer for college football players to be in the same locker room, to uh, hit each other with pads on, to be in close proximity in violation of social distancing requirements. If that's safe, then uh, why can't every business open? Uh, Why do we have to wear masks everywhere we go? If the reason given for Big Ten football returning is that, well, the president made rapid testing available to us and we didn't have rapid testing in August when we canceled the season, then how do they run from giving the president credit for the return of Big Ten football? Which I am pretty certain Democratic governors in the states of Wisconsin, Michigan, and Pennsylvania don't want to do. They don't want to do that. They don't want to. Perceive, you know, lend credence to the fact that this is something that the president did to get football going in swing states. So they have a problem selling it on only the Big Ten front, only because of the safety protocols. They may go that route. Uh, I just don't think it's a believable route to go. The other thing that comes to me as we ramp up toward what appears to be a resumption of Big Ten football is how ill-prepared, and I mean, you know, I'm pounding a drum that you already know uh, about, How ill-prepared and ill-conceived, how ill-prepared the Big Ten was when they canceled the season to deal with the fallout and explain it and how ill-conceived that decision was. Because what they will trumpet when they announce this return is the work of a return-to-competition task force. A return-to-competition task force. Okay, well, great. Dr. Jim Borchers, former long snapper at Ohio State, former Centerville Elk, uh, is on that return to competition task force, as is uh, Penn State Athletic Director Sandy Barber. I'm sure they've done wonderful work. I'm just not sure why they didn't have a return to competition task force long before now. Like, what were they doing for the first couple of weeks after they canceled the season? What were they doing not having a return to competition task force when they canceled the season on August 11th and said they were just delaying the season until the spring or the winter. Wouldn't you think that if they were going to delay the season until the spring or the winter, they would have a return to competition task force then? I would think that's pretty good planning. That's pretty good leadership. That's something that they should have done. But they didn't do that. They didn't have that, which is uh, inexcusable and inexplicable. Ohio State, I think the reason why you can be optimistic that the Big Ten is not going to pull a stunt like canceling Again, when you look at the three committees that are playing into this whole thing, they have a, this, this seems goofy to me, they have a steering committee. I'm not committee guy. I'm not expert on committees, but I, I do know that they have 14 teams in the league, so they have 14 presidents and chancellors. So yesterday they had a steering committee of presidents and chancellors that included eight presidents and chancellors. I guess the other six were too busy watching NFL football or hosting a fundraiser or something to be on that call. (laughs) But we don't have a final decision yet from the Big Ten because we don't have a final vote of the 14 presidents because, like I said, six of them were not on the call yesterday or not in the meeting yesterday. But the steering committee met. And then the steering committee of eight presidents will talk to the full committee of 14 presidents and chancellors. Yeah, I know. Makes sense of that. I can't. Christina Johnson, the president of Ohio State, is on the steering committee. Okay, so there's Ohio State representation directly on one key committee. Gene Smith, Ohio State athletic director, is on the television committee. If you're going to return to Big Ten football, but you're not going to play a conventional regular season, you have fewer games, so you haven't you can't count on the TV networks paying you exactly what they normally pay you. So you got to have somebody to be a liaison with the TV networks and work with the new schedule and move things around so that the Big Ten title game is not the first Saturday in December. It's uh, presumably the, what, 19th? Yeah. Okay, so Gene Smith's on that committee. So there's two committees, two direct Ohio State representatives. You're going to have to have a schedule committee. Their second schedule, their grandly touted flexibility schedule, that they announced, what, six days before they canceled the season on August uh, 11th, canceled the fall season, postponed it, whatever you want to say. They need a scheduling committee. How are we going to schedule this? How are we going to fit this in? Who's going to play who? Uh, Ryan Day, Ohio State coach, is on that committee. So I think you can reasonably say that Ohio State's interests are well-represented on all the committees. I think you can reasonably say from the fact that Ohio State is well-represented on all the committees, that Ohio State's not going to stand for uh, not playing a season after they have, you know, taken all kinds of heat nationally, watch teams play around the country, watch high schools, at least in the state of Ohio, playing. I don't know if they're playing in Michigan yet because their crazy governor Gretz and Whitmer insists that their players wear masks during practice and during games. Boy, is that stupid. Um, so that's where we are. Uh, they're going to play. Who they'll open with, I have no idea. Will they put Michigan last? If you notice in the Ohio high school ranks, a lot of teams are having their senior nights early. They're playing their rivals early because they want to get those games in in case COVID intrudes and they have to cancel games. So that's good news. Great news with the Ohio State Buckeyes. Uh, Similar good news. Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee we'll give you 15% off if you use the promo code we tackle life in all caps we tackle life the name of the podcast is the discount code we tackle life in all caps gets you 15% off Hemisphere coffee roasters coffee sourced from around the world from growers directly so the growers benefit that way the government in those markets doesn't skim all the profits off the top and on the ministry side of things the good side, besides putting more money in the pockets of the growers, the growers then are motivated to do great things in their own local communities. I told you in Thailand, in a remote village of Thailand, the women don't have a whole lot of employment opportunities. The employment opportunities they have are pretty ghastly. Human trafficking, sex slave industry, but because the grower can sell his coffee direct to Hemisphere, he can provide jobs for 70 women in that village and those women then are saved from a horrendous life and their families are provided for. So that's what Hemisphere does. You benefit, the growers benefit, the world benefits from Hemisphere Coffee Roasters Coffee. And the coffee's phenomenal, phenomenal coffee. K-cups, roast, light, medium, and dark, however you like it. You want the beans, you want to grind it yourself, they can do that. Go to their website, HemisphereCoffeeRoasters.com. Perfect corporate gifts too. They have great packages. It includes their chocolate, which is made from the cacao plant which is a cover crop for coffee if you are into what let me let me mention all the buzzwords right no sugar non gmo gluten free you name it they have a essential chocolate product made from cacao that'll satisfy all that so look for it on their website hemispherecoffeeroasters.com we appreciate their sponsorship we appreciate you sponsor uh, uh patronizing them they are uh, blown away by the by the uh, support of the spielman Holy podcast listeners which we appreciate very very much okay let's switch to what do we want to do browns or bengal's first let's do the bad news first the cleveland browns oh. 38 to 6 38 to 6 not good um not unexpected because the uh, Baltimore Ravens are uh much better football team than the Cleveland Browns. The Ravens were 14-2 and last year. The Browns uh, were not 14-2. and But Kevin Stefanski's debut. I read a lot of headlines yesterday that the honeymoon is over for Kevin Stefanski. The honeymoon is over. Well, yeah, probably. When you get housed by that many points. Freddie Kitchens' honeymoon was over when they got beat by... When did they get beat by last year? Uh, 30 by the Titans in the opener at home. The only good thing for Stefanski is it didn't happen at home. And there were no fans from the city of Cleveland there to watch it because there were no fans there, period. You get beat 38-6 to with no fans. That's bad, man, because presumably the Ravens' home field advantage is out the window without fans, but their Lamar Jackson advantage was not out the window. Now, I've said Lamar Jackson not sustainable as an NFL quarterback. He looked better throwing a ball yesterday, but the Browns' secondary is a train wreck. The Browns' defense is a train wreck. The Browns' defense is really bad. Really bad. Whoo. J.K. Dobbins, two touchdowns for the Baltimore Ravens. That had to feel good for J.K. in his uh, NFL debut. Uh, Baker Mayfield, um, I'm not saying he's not the guy, but I'm not saying he is the guy. And we all thought when Baker Mayfield had a record for touchdown passes as a rookie in the NFL, oh, the Browns at least have solved their quarterback issues. Uh, I'm not sure Baker Mayfield's anything more than a middle-of-the-road NFL quarterback. I'm not sure he's equipped to run Kevin Stefanski's offense with a lot of movement in the pocket. I think Baker Mayfield is not quite as athletic as Browns fans want to believe he is or as he wants to believe he is. Uh, Maybe Baker Mayfield needs to throw from the pocket more. But then again, you got protection issues with that. So, uh, we'll see. Thursday night, the Browns hope for a bounce-back win over the Cincinnati Bengals. I wouldn't count on it, as the Cincinnati Bengals playing a much um, better, giving a much better effort. I'm not going to say they're playing a better team than the Ravens, because that's not true with the San Diego Chargers, now that Tarod Taylor is the quarterback at the Chargers. But the Chargers' defense is legit, and Joe Burrow almost led the Bengals to victory in that. We'll talk about that more here in a sec, because I want to get back to the Browns. Uh, they have won one time, one time in a season opener since coming back to the NFL in 1999. They have lost 16 years in a row. Their only win in an opener was 2004 at Baltimore. That 16-year string of fertility uh, covers nine head coaches. <laughs> I'm just sitting there thinking, could I name all nine? Could I name all nine since Butch Davis? I don't think I could. Let's see. Let's see how many I can name. Romeo Cornell. Um, Rob Chudzinski, Pat Shermer. There's no way I can name nine. Uh, Pat Shermer. Then after Pat Shermer, Mike. Uh, what was his Mike's name? Mike Pettin Uh, after Mike Pettin, It wasn't Freddie Kitchens who was in between? I got Freddie there. Let's put Freddie on a list. Mike Pettin, Mike Pettin Who succeeded Mike? P- oh, Hugh Jackson. How could I forget Hugh Jackson? Hugh Jackson, Freddie Kitchens. Uh, Stefanski, how many do I have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven. I'm missing two. Wow. I'm Missing two guys, two coaches in there. Yikes. Okay, well, I'm not even going to try. Uh, that's depressing enough. Uh, So, nine head coaches is three times as many as the catches Odell Beckham had in the game yesterday. Odell Beckham Jr. had three catches for 22 yards. The Browns were actually in this game, middle of second quarter when I uh, returned from lunch. Um... And I got there just in time to see Odell Beckham Jr. drop a third down pass from Baker Mayfield that would have converted a first down. So now, uh, on comes Austin Seibert for a field goal, a makeable field goal. It was in the 40s. He missed it. Uh, Near the end of the half, I'm thinking, well, what could happen? Well, here's what could happen. The Ravens could drive 65 yards in 35 seconds and score. (laughs) Instead of being up 17-6, to they're now up 24-6. to And then the Ravens got the ball to start the second half, right down the field and scored again. Earlier in the second quarter, the Cleveland Browns punted to the one-yard line. The Ravens proceeded to drive 99 yards for a touchdown. Those things can't happen. You can't let teams drive 99 yards for a touchdown. You can't drop certain third-down conversion passes. You can't miss makeable field goals. And you can't come out flat for the second half and get driven on again again. And your head handed to you and your will taken away. But all that happened to the Cleveland Browns yesterday. Um, so, Thursday night against the Cincinnati Bengals. It is the first Baker Baker-Burrow Battle of Ohio. Uh, I was on 610-TVN yesterday with Dave Mann at 3.36 p.m., which is my normal Sunday slot with uh, Dave Mann. And I made a bold prediction, and I can unequivocally say now, thanks to Randy Bullock, an incorrect prediction prediction. I said the Cincinnati Bengals would start the season 2-0. and They will not because they're 0-1 thanks to Randy Bullock yacking a 31-yard field goal at the end of regulation, which would have sent the game into overtime, and I have no doubt the Bengals would have won the game in overtime because Joe Burrow looked pretty good on the final drive. Now, Joe Burrow didn't look great the whole game, but he didn't get a lot of protection, and he's playing a really good San Diego defense, but he had the Bengals in the game. He scored his first NFL touchdown on a 25-yard run that he audibled to. He had some throws he could have made, should have made, didn't make. Uh, he, John Ross dropped a touchdown pass. Boy, John Ross. John Ross, um, I don't know. Should I tell you, Bengal fans? Should I remind you? I'm sure you already know. The Bengals drafted John Ross one spot ahead of the Kansas City Chiefs, drafting Patrick Mahomes. Yeah. A lot of teams missed on Patrick Mahomes. Not everybody missed on Patrick Mahomes by drafting a guy like John Ross, who's the gift that keeps on giving to the opponent. John Ross drops, John Ross injuries, John Ross penalties. He's a triple threat, John Ross. So he dropped a touchdown pass from Joe Burrow that Joe said was overthrown. It was slightly overthrown, but Ross you've got to catch that man. You're an NFL receiver, you're a first round pick. Got to catch it. Joe Burrow overthrew A.J. Green. A little scramble out to the right, threw it. A.J. caught it, couldn't get his feet in because Joe led him too much to the sideline. So Joe Burrow was not perfect yesterday. He was not anywhere close to perfect. He's a rookie with no preseason. We got to the end of the game. Bengals have the ball after Joe Burrow threw a really stupid interception, trying to make too many things happen. Bengals have the ball. Eight minutes left. They're driving. They're in San Diego territory. They're in field goal range. They run a screen pass to Gio Bernard. Uh, Joe Burrow flushed out of the pocket. Melvin Ingram, the former South Carolina defensive lineman, sniffs it out. And Joe Burrow tries a shovel pass. Bad idea. Throw it away. Live to play another day. Live to kick the field goal. Although maybe Joe knew something about Randy Bullock that I didn't. That Randy proved all of us at the end. Uh, Joe threw the ball. Shovel pass intercepted. But the Bengals held. They got it back. Burrow's got the ball at his own 18. Uh, Three timeouts left. All right. Go get him, kid. And I thought to myself, well, I heard all this stuff in the preseason about Joe Burrow running the two-minute drill and him doing a great job, and I fully expected him to take him down the field and score the winning touchdown. And I'll be dogged if he didn't do it. Except in hitting five different receivers and fitting the ball into some extremely tight windows, um... The Bengals got into position to win the game, and Joe Burrow hit A.J. Green for the go-ahead touchdown pass with seconds left. The officials threw a pass interference call on A.J. Green. All right, listen, I wanted the Bengals to win. I wanted Burrow's legend to start growing. So I thought it was a call that shouldn't have been made. But if I'm the Chargers, I want that call made 100 times out of 100. If that's in the first, second, or third quarter, do they call it? mm, Less likely. I'm not going to say no, but less likely. The San Diego Chargers... Los Angeles Chargers defensive back sold it, and the officials went for it. I wonder how many times officials pull a flag based upon, you know, their initial quick reaction to a physical uh, display of, like, the Chargers DB went like this, you know, I got pushed. I wonder how many times officials pull a flag, throw it, and, like, as it's leaving their hand, they go, ah! Yeah, probably should not have thrown that. That might have been one of them. Anyway, they moved the Bengals back. Now there's seven seconds left of the game. No problem. No problem. 31-yard field goal. Randy Bullock had come out and kicked that. I had a really bad feeling when Randy Bullock came out. Like, this is not going to go well. And it didn't. It went wide right. I don't know if Randy Bullock played at Florida State, but he was wide right. And then, I don't want to see this, Randy, when you miss that field goal. He immediately... Clutched his calf muscle, like, ooh, injured. Now, I don't doubt that he had a cramp or something, but just <laughs> it made it worse. It made it worse that he missed that field goal. And then they pan to the sideline, and there's Joe Burrow looking off in his face, like, huh? Huh? This didn't happen at LSU. This didn't happen at Athens. No, it didn't. Didn't happen at Ohio State either. Give away a game like that, but um, as. I've heard many times, Bengals going to Bengal. So they lost, but looked dramatically better than the Cleveland Browns. It wouldn't be hard. And I'm going to stick with the Bengals. They're not my Bengals. The Browns are the Browns. I own the Browns. They're my Browns. But I don't have any faith that the Browns on Thursday night, without a home crowd in attendance, I don't have any faith that the Browns will recoup and beat the Bengals. They should. They should. Shouldn't even be close. Browns have more talent. Uh, Bengals have the advantage, which played out throughout the NFL yesterday. Your teams with returning coaches generally looked a lot better than your teams with new quarterbacks or new coaches. But uh, I'm picking the Bengals in that game. I'm going to stick with it. I'm going to ride out uh, my Cincinnati Bengals pick. Now, I could plead ignorance. I could plead insanity. Uh, But I won't do that. Now, uh, if you're ever in a situation where you have to Plead your case. Ha, how about this for a transition? Yes, it's time for the Willis Spangler Starling endorsement. In all seriousness, great attorneys, your legal rights are not something you want to trifle with. Stan Kelly, the great attorneys at Willis Spangler Starling, have expertise in every area, and you want a full-service law firm because you don't want to have to go hunting around for specialties when you're in the midst of a legal jackpot that arises out of nowhere. You want to have somebody who knows you, who knows your situation, who has impeccable expertise, um, unblemished character, and integrity. You want Willis Spangler Starling Attorneys. They're on Truman Boulevard in Hilliard. You can find them online, willisattorneys.com, willisattorneys.com. Tell them you were referred by the Spielman and Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. you got workers' compensation issues. You got employee employer issues, you need a contract drawn up, you need your rights protected. you got personal injury claim, Wills estate planning, all the biggies and all the Smallies they can handle it at Willis Spangler starling online willisattorneys.com. You can tweet the show we tackle. you can review us on iTunes. we'd appreciate that very much. You can email the show Podcast at gmail.com you should be emailing the show with your recommendations for COVID-19 relief. Yes! Why would you not recommend someone who you know has been impacted by COVID-19, health issues, job issues, quarantine issues, someone you know would be thrilled to get a phone call from you, hey, I was thinking of you, and I nominated you to the Spielman & Hooley podcast for a $250 check in COVID-19 relief, and you won. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I would think that would be wonderful. We've had boy, probably four people every week times probably going on close to 30 weeks now who've had that privilege and the only thing stopping you from the opportunity to have that privilege is that you haven't emailed us with a nomination so do that Podcast at gmail.com hey bruce i want to nominate my friend joe joe lost his job joe's wife's been in the hospital joe's wife uh can't work joe's got college bills joe's got this joe's got that nominate joe or joanne i don't care nominate Someone you know, love, support, want to help. Spielman podcast at gmail.com. All right, around the rest of the NFL. um, Let's start with Tom Brady. He didn't look good. I watched that game. First of all, why it really stinks we can't watch the Bengals here. I'm sure it has something to do. Chris has explained to me many times the TV deals, and I'm sure it was because of some TV prohibition, but it seems odd to me that, we couldn't watch Joe Burrow from Athens, Ohio play a home game in Cincinnati when no fans are allowed, so there's no blackout uh, in the Columbus TV market. But I had uh, thanks to YouTube TV for the free Red Zone preview, so I was able to keep track of the Bengals game on Red Zone yesterday. Not going to buy Red Zone, but i got to admit, Red Zone pretty cool. Um, so Tom Brady, I watched Tom Brady and the Saints. Saints are really good. Bucks are trying to figure out who they are. Uh, And Tom Brady, you know, today will be a litany of, ah, that's it. Brady's over the hill. Gronk's over the hill. Tom Brady, you can take Jameis Winston out of the quarterback room. Out of the quarterback room. You can't take the pick six interceptions out of the Buccaneers quarterback room. All that today. That'll be, oh, boy. Steven and A and Max will be all over that today. Oh, yeah. Skip and Shannon will be all over that today. The end of Tom Brady. What part, what 15? The end of Tom Brady, I wouldn't go that far. Brady did some good things. Bucks are going to be fine. I don't think the Bucks are like a 12 and four team, but I don't think they're a six and 10 team either. You know, could they be a 10 and eight team? Yeah, I think 10 and eight's about right for the Bucks. Tough division. Uh, Falcons, Saints, Colts in that division. Tough division. Although the Colts, man, how do you lose the Jags, Colts? Jags are trying to lose. They want Trevor Lawrence, although uh, Gardner, Minshew, <laughs> Gardner Minshew forgot to throw incompletions yesterday as the Jaguars beat Phillip Rivers and the Indianapolis Colts. Cam Newton and the Patriots won. Cam Newton, keep running him, I guess. Squeeze all the blood from that turnip you can, Bill Belichick, but that's not going to hold up over 16 games. So those are some of the highlights of the NFL um, play on the field. If you're a Buckeye fan, and many of you are, and you should be uh, very happy for Dwayne Haskins, the Washington football team's quarterback. Dwayne Haskins yesterday, uh, early on on the crawl, I see that Carson Wentz and the Eagles are out 17-0 on the Washington football team. And I'm like, ooh, that's not good. And then all of a sudden it's 17-17, and then... I see on red zone, Dwayne Haskins leads the Redskins to victory. Chase Young has a strip sack. And the real story of this one is that Redskins coach Ron Rivera, who's been undergoing uh, chemotherapy treatments for cancer, Ron Rivera went in the locker room at halftime and took an IV at halftime. Well, while Ron Rivera was taking his IV at halftime, he obviously is not in the room with his players to give them speech about here's what we need to do in the second half and even though the IV was scheduled at halftime Rivera had not made arrangements for his assistant coaches or any of his assistant coaches to take the lead in speaking to the team so he just told somebody hey somebody's got to like get the team together and up steps DH Simba 7 Dwayne Haskins to get after the guys Rivera said he could hear it in the next room Dwayne Haskins high-pitched voice getting after the team So they got to be thrilled in Washington after a season of nothing but bad headlines and taking their nickname away and sexual harassment, you know, allegations and this, that, and Ron Rivera getting cancer, that Dwayne Haskins, the guy who they invested a 15th overall pick in, shows great leadership, talents, and tendencies in the Redskins opening victory. That's a good thing for Haskins. That's a good thing for the Redskins. Um, Okay, so on the national anthem yesterday... Uh, we're in a rancorous time in America where, you know, the NFL is putting, uh, hashtags in the end zone and racism. We're all in this together or it takes all of us. It takes all of us is the other one. Uh, we now have, uh, uh, a, not just a national anthem, but a black national anthem played before games. The black national anthem is a song called lift every voice and sing. I was kind of surprised the games that I watched yesterday, the network's delved into who stood who knelt um baker mayfield stood miles garrett knelt miles garrett ronnie harrison and uh hodge three browns knelt for the anthem not a fan of kneeling for the anthem i don't believe the kneeling for the anthem is not a sign of disrespect to the country uh it is perceived as, by many, a sign of disrespect for the country. And the, the toughest sell for the people who claim that kneeling for the anthem is not disrespectful to the country, the toughest sell of that going forward will be anybody affiliated with the Baltimore Ravens because the Baltimore Ravens yesterday all knelt for the national anthem and then all stood for the black national anthem. So I, I think uh, I'm open to somebody explaining how that can be taken as anything other than a criticism of uh, the United States of America at large. Um, But at this point in time, I don't understand how it could be anything other than that. Uh, I also don't understand why, in a period of time where we're in the open enrollment period for companies and for individuals, or we're at least approaching it for individuals, to switch your health insurance, to evaluate your health insurance, you have an opportunity to look at Is this health insurance that I have the ideal health insurance for me? Do I have the doctors I want? Do I have the medical groups that I want? Whether they're because of expertise. You know, I'm a huge, huge, huge fan of Orthopedic One, Sawmill and Bethel Road. Any health plan that I take, if Orthopedic One's not on it, if Northwest Family Physicians, that's where my uh, primary care doc, Roger Wilt, shout out, Dr. Wilt, um, is that a HIPAA violation? If I do that to myself, if I say who my doctor is, <laughs> maybe, maybe Roger doesn't want to be known as my doctor, but if those docs aren't on my plan, then I'm getting another plan. I've refused plans that didn't have those docs. And you're probably the same way. You got doctor you want, you got a orthopedic group or a heart hospital you want, or, uh, you have preferences. You want to get the most for your money, but you know people who say, well, this is the cheapest plan, this is the one I want, I'm reasonably healthy. Guess what? Uh, I was part of a plan. The company was based out of another uh, state where if I took a certain plan, I'd have no doctors in the state of Ohio. <laughs> no doctors in the state of Ohio. That would have been moderately inconvenient to drive to Indiana or Pennsylvania for my doctor's appointment. So that's why auiinfo.com is important. Chrissy, Steve, Julie, the experts at auiinfo.com. They don't even cost you a penny to access their expertise on all the myriad health plans out there. Who are the docs? What groups are included? What hospitals are included? They know the answers. Now, you can find the answers. Sure, you can hold to speak to somebody from healthcare.gov or go on the federal website if it's not, you know, down, crashed, because everybody during open enrollment is accessing it. No, no. Go with auinfo.com. Say, well, what do you mean I don't have to pay? That's got to be some kind of a – there's something weird going on there, Bruce. I don't believe you. Believe me, because the health insurance companies compensate auinfo.com. You don't. And you're already paying for consultations built into the prices of these plans when you're buying them on healthcare.gov. So I would I, – I just – am clueless why you wouldn't avail yourself of the free help of auinfo.com. auiinfo.com ask for Chrissy. Tell them you heard about it on the Spielman and Huli We Tackle Life podcast. Okay, so we hit the Big Ten. We hit the NFL. We hit the Browns and the Bengals. So uh, let's move on to the faith portion of the podcast. Okay. News events of... The weekend um, continue in troubling fashion. Saturday night, uh, two Compton, California, sheriff's deputies um, shot while in their cruiser by, uh, it appears, a man in his 30s who walked up on them and fired. Um, Thankfully, neither officer has died. Uh, They are both uh, progressing. Being shot in the one, one shot in the jaw, one shot in the head. Uh, it's just horrendous, horrendous to watch, horrendous to hear of, and um, the aftermath of that shooting. Uh, what people were chanting, and they were blocking the ambulance um, path to the hospital. Uh, just it's just heartbreaking, man. I mean, so anyway, that's a news event. So then, overnight, or actually yesterday afternoon, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. Uh, a young man with a knife overhead charges at officers with the knife. He's shot and killed. And we have um, demonstrations, I'll say demonstrations, and some vandalism in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. So, look, this is, uh, you know, rinse, repeat, more of the same. Kenosha, Wisconsin, Atlanta, Georgia, Portland, Oregon, all over the place. Um, it's a, it's a, it's a, Really terrible time to see this going on, to um, contemplate where we are as a society. Um, I really feel for officers, if you're a praying person, I would. Um, I mean, there are a lot of things to pray for, right? Just pray for um, calm, pray for understanding, pray for um, patience. Pray for wisdom, and yes, pray for protection for uh, our officers, for their families, uh, for those in uh, communities who are disadvantaged and uh, and feel oppressed, uh, or maybe are oppressed. Uh, pray that bad, uh, o- nobody wants bad officers exposed more than good officers, so uh, if there are Pray that the temptation to exact revenge—I think this is, a, this is a prayer God will honor. Pray that the temptation to exact revenge among officers who are scared, frightened, mad, angry, and among those in the communities who feel um, put upon, oppressed, disadvantaged— To what extent temptation exists in either faction to exact revenge from the other? Pray that that can be crushed. What do we see at work here? Okay. Pretty obvious to me as a man of faith, as a believer in Jesus Christ, that what we see is um, great activity by Satan and the dark forces in the world to twist. truth into a false reality. I had the uh, privilege yesterday of teaching um, our adult Bible class uh, church in a passage from 1 Peter 5, 8 to the end of the chapter. The operative verses which are scrolling along the screen right now are, uh, be self-controlled and alert your enemy. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, looking, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, and um, know that your brothers throughout the rest of the world have undergone persecution. That should strengthen you. Okay, let me let me dive into that a bit. Notice that it says your enemy. It is uh, sometimes viewed that Satan is God's enemy. And he is. And he is. And he is. But how does he attack? Well he attacks uh believers and unbelievers. He is Satan is the prince of the power of the Aries. This, this world is Satan's kingdom. Second Corinthians, I think it's First Corinthians 2, 4 says the God of this age has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to the truth of Jesus Christ. The truth of Jesus Christ is that Jesus came to earth, led a sinless life, provided a sacrifice. Jesus basically took the blame for everything you or I do that is not holy and perfect because God is a holy and perfect God. His standard is perfection. None of us can meet it. Our attitudes are wrong. Our words are wrong. Our actions are wrong. None of us can meet God's standard of perfection. So he sent Jesus to live a sinless life. When he was tempted in every way as we are, we succumbed to the temptation. Jesus did not. Therefore, Jesus provides a perfect sacrifice for our sin. So when he died on the cross, we then can claim what he did as payment for our sin. That's the plan of salvation. I know that it may seem simplistic, and many may go, why do you cover that all the time? Because there are people who don't get it. They think that their eternal future is tied up in their behavior. It is not. No one can behave themselves into heaven. No one can be perfect uh, throughout this life. So I always try to give the plan of salvation at least once a week and try to put it in as simple terms as possible because God is not willing for anybody to perish. The gospel is a simple gospel because God wants everybody to be able to understand it. I'm not good enough. I can't be good enough. Jesus was perfect, so I can claim what Jesus did. God will then look upon me and see Jesus's perfection. That's why Jesus was, you know, the sacrifice for our sins. And then Jesus rose to life. What's the importance of that? It's not just because God wanted his son beside him in heaven. It's because Jesus rose to new life. So after you believe and are saved, we're called to live differently. I'm striving to live differently. I'm striving to I prayed this morning that, you know, in this rancorous time, that the things I say would not be divisive but would be truthful. Now, the truth can be divisive. The truth is very divisive because it is not supportable by evidence that many of the viewpoints put forward by those who are stirring up anger and um, misbehavior in our cities, the narrative they're putting forth is not a truthful narrative. LeBron James puts forth an absolutely false narrative when he says that black men are literally hunted every day by police. That is a 100% lie. It is not true. It is not true of LeBron. It is not true of black men in general. The statistics do not support that. I believe it's dangerous rhetoric because when I see video of someone walking up on officers sitting in their cruiser in Compton, California at a mass transit station and I see those officers shot, I have to wonder how much, if at all, in the mindset of that shooter was the mindset, the motivation created by dangerous rhetoric like LeBron and others have engaged in. I'm not blaming LeBron for it, but he's contributing to it. So, back to 1 Peter 5.8. Your enemy. doesn't say Satan is God's enemy. Of course he is, but where does he engage? Well, he engages in battles he thinks he can win. He knows he can't win the battle against God directly, so let's attack the kingdom of God indirectly. Let's stir up all kinds of misinformation about race gender this that the other let's stir all that up let's rile people up let's let's cause dissension let's cause unrest let's cause mistrust and he does that so the satan is your enemy he's my enemy how does he work let's do the scouting report shall we Peter, who walked every step of Jesus' ministry with him, says that Satan prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I looked up how lions hunt. Lions don't hunt by roaring as they hunt. They roar when they're celebrating the end of a hunt. But as they hunt, lions are stealthy quiet. They creep up on their prey. They sink down into the grasslands and their color of their coat matches the hue of the grasslands. They are hard to see. They're very hard to see. Go online, Google a hunt, a lion hunt. You'll see they'll creep up on their prey, often surround their prey, their prey will be eating, distracted, looking around. The lion advances stealthily, quietly, low in the grass. Is that not how trouble comes into our lives? It certainly is true of my life. I get distracted by something. I get out of my routine, praying, reading my Bible. I don't stay disciplined in my spiritual walk. I don't pray. I don't seek God's wisdom. I don't recenter myself. I don't set myself in the truth of scripture, like a post in concrete, and then, oh, all of a sudden I'm vulnerable to a wrong attitude, to a, to anger, to this, to that, to the other. What you'll notice when a lion hunts is when the prey thinks they hear something, oh, there might be danger around, the prey will look up, will look up, will look around, will scan the horizon, can't see anything because the lion by now has sunk back down in the grass, can't see it. Then when the prey goes back to what it was doing, resumes its life, resumes its lazy activity, preoccupied with feeding itself, whatever, then the lion creeps closer and closer and closer until it's almost right up on top of the prey to the point where with a burst of speed it can jump on the prey, claw the prey, kill the prey. And there's very little in that moment that the prey can do because a lot of times lions will isolate the weakest in a herd a lot of times lions will surround the weakest in a herd. They they prey on confusion, they prey on weakness, they prey on lack of vigilance and awareness, and all those things are true in our life. We fall victim to error, we fall victim to silly rhetoric, we fall victim to feelings and emotions rather than truth. And the end result is we fall. The relationship at work that we thought was just innocent, they understand me, I can tell them my troubles, all of a sudden the relationship gets out of hand, and you find yourself in a situation where you're like, I never wanted this to happen, but it happened, because the journey away from God is usually not a leaps and bounds journey. The journey away from God, away from faithfulness, away from obedience is usually a journey of a thousand tiny steps that at the end you find yourself going, how did I get here? How did I get here? What am I doing here? You made a thousand bad decisions to get there. Not one. I ache for our country when I see um, what I see in the cities, when I see police shot, when I see error disguised as truth. So, know who your enemy is, know how your enemy works, be on guard. And I would say to encourage you, there's hope for everyone, because let's look at the Apostle Peter, shall we? I'll wrap with this. The Apostle Peter was called to be a disciple from being a fisherman. Um, I identify with Peter because he was impetuous. Um, many, many things in his life, you read the Gospels, you're like, man, that Peter, that dude, he didn't listen. He had his own way. Jesus told him one time, I'm going to be crucified, rise from the dead. Peter's like, no, 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 not going to do it. Not going to let that happen. Uh, even on the night that Jesus was taken by the Roman soldiers. Peter whips out a sword and, you know, you got a legion of Roman soldiers there. Peter, what does he think he's going to do? Like, take on the whole group of them? He's going to defeat them all? He's going to go Rambo on them? Uh, That's not going to happen. But Peter thought it was going to happen. So you got an impetuous... um, knee-jerk guy in Peter, a loud, uh, braggadocious guy who at the end in 1 Peter, (laughs) after the perspective of Christ's sacrifice at the cross, is talking about suffering and the value of suffering and the commendability of suffering. And we see a radically different Peter at the end of his life. That's the hope for me. That's the hope for you. Uh, That's the hope for all of us as Jesus continues to work on us and uses our foibles and our faults and our flaws and our screw-ups to chip away those rough edges that Peter had early on that were pruned off and polished and buffed to the point where Peter writes an amazing letter to the churches in asia in first peter filled with truth and go to acts 4 and peter the guy who on the night jesus was taken by the soldiers was so afraid to admit his association with and allegiance to jesus that when a young girl said hey you know you're you look like one of those guys from galilee i you gotta be one of jesus's followers peter's like nope, nope, not me not me and he denied Jesus three times. He denied he knew him three times after Jesus said, Peter, tonight you're going to deny me three times. And Peter, in his impetuous, braggadocious, bold, big talker way, said, No, ow, not me. I'm ready to go to death for you, Lord. Jesus said, Well, Satan has asked to sift you like wheat, but I've prayed for you. When you come back from this big mistake, you're going to make denying me three times. Strengthen your brothers. Now the process of sifting wheat. If you don't know, when you see a combine in the field, they they harvest the wheat. And in the old days, you know they didn't have combines and wagons. Combines separate the. You've heard the phrase the wheat from the chaff. Well, in the old days, in Peter's day, to separate the wheat from the chaff, what they did was they they juggle it in like a pan with a filter in there and the wheat would bounce around and the chaff, the fluff, the vestiges of the plant would be blown away. It would be taken away. It would be separated from the actual good stuff that makes bread and all the things we make wheat out of. That's a painful process when we as humans are sifted like wheat. We're bounced around. We're buffeted. The bad stuff's blown off of us. It's not pleasant, but it's necessary for us to be in a useful condition at the end. God, from that relationship that that Jesus outlined to Peter, that Satan had to come and ask for permission, so God is superior to Satan, God had to, or Satan had to come and ask for permission to sift Peter like wheat, and Jesus was like, yeah, okay, go ahead, but I'm I'm going to deliver him at the end. He's going to come back. He's going to be the rock on which I built my church. And Peter in Acts 4.12, after being afraid to tell a girl, a teenage girl, that he was, yes, I'm from Galilee. Yes, Jesus is my guy. Yes. He could have done that around the fire when Jesus was in front of the Sanhedrin. He didn't. He was afraid. No, I don't know the guy. Never heard of him. Never saw him. Nope, not me. That same Peter in Acts 4 12, in Acts 4:12 goes before the Sanhedrin when they're saying, "Hey, would you shut up about this Jesus thing? Like just shut up about it. Don't talk about it anymore. You do, we're going to throw you in prison." That Peter, perfected, buffeted, sifted, polished, resolute, standing on truth said, "Well, I don't care what you say. There is one name under heaven, by which you must be saved. One name, the name Jesus Christ. Peter became a bold, stand-up guy, fearless, not fearful, fearless because he was standing on truth. He was, like 1 Peter 5.8 says, alert, self-controlled, sober-minded, solid, And while it may sound trite and old school to you to say, how do I do that, Bruce? How do I resist? How do I stand firm? You know, the old school remedies are the best ones. Prayer, read your Bible, pour truth into your mind. Do not pour error into your mind. Do not pour rancor into your mind. Do not pour anger and hate into your mind. Pour truth into your mind. Pour goodness into your mind. Find people who know the truth. Find a Bible-believing church. Find a pastor who's rooted in Scripture. And avail yourself of the truth to strengthen yourself for these days, for these times, when we are called to be alert and to stand firm and to be encouraged by others like Peter who have gone through that process of being perfected, of being refined, and of being supremely useful for the kingdom of God. That is what I pray for you. That is what I pray for me. Uh, That is what we are called to be, and uh, I pray that we can be that as we go forward. I want to thank you for joining me here on a uh, Monday edition of the Spielman & Hooley We Tackle Life podcast. Chris will be back on Wednesday. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about with the Buckeyes by then hopefully returning to action, having a date for their season opener, presumably October the 17th. Please send us a name of someone you'd like to help with COVID-19 relief. podcast at gmail.com. SpielmanHooleyPodcast at gmail.com. And you can also do that on Facebook. Follow us there. Follow us on Twitter at WeTackle. Everybody have a great day. Talk to you again on Wednesday.